Welcome to the 12th episode of Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Jean-Michel Beaulieu, part of the Montreal-based fixed income sales team, and François Leclerc, one of our provincial bond traders. This week's episode is titled The French Connection. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. I'd like to welcome both of you gentlemen back for your second appearance on the show. Uh, Our first appearance was among the most listened to episodes, so I expect this one to be at least as good uh, and for you to send it out to all your friends and family so so we get even more listeners this time. Uh, Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Happy to be back, Ben. Uh, these are interesting times in the market. Uh, rates are seemingly rising relentlessly, uh, at least until today's post-Fed rally. But even now, we're seeing further steepening as the front end remains pinned down by central banks, while the long end continues to suffer amid rising inflation expectations and, and to some extent, rising real yields as well. Uh, and that latter part's really been the story for the past uh, month or so. But it does look as though uh, we, we could see a continued back up here in the long end. Uh, even as the front remains pinned down. Uh, and and I think, I guess, we, we should start with the Fed a little bit here, but only only briefly because today is Fed Day and then they just announced. And I think it's, it, it, it's interesting that they've come out and they've left their dots, at least on a median basis, unchanged, even though despite a, a massive upgrade in their growth forecast. And the, market, the market's really taken them uh, at their word to, to, for the most part. Uh, I mean, there's, there's still a rate hike price in 2023, which is about a year ahead of what they're thinking, but uh, uh, they're more or less taking them at their word that they're going to be on hold and be very patient with this and wait for inflation to really pick up and, and do all that, despite the fact that we're expecting, I mean, or they're expecting six plus percent growth this year. And uh, I think that that's really what consensus is now. So you're going to see super strong growth. Meantime, in Canada, kind of similar type of backdrop or really, really strong growth, not quite as strong as in the U.S., but uh, around 6% growth. We're, we don't have the same type of uh, fiscal stimulus here that, that is going on in, in the U.S., but still strong. Uh, and, and an improving backdrop consistently. And the Bank of Canada said that they're likely not going to raise rates until 2023, uh, although that was based on their January forecast, but but still. Uh, and since then, again, we've had better growth numbers, and the, the market just doesn't want to believe what the bank has to say. Uh, and they're, they're pricing the bank much more aggressively, putting in uh, first rate hike in, in, in mid-22. So that's similarly to the Fed, a year ahead of when the Bank of Canada said they're going to go, but it has five rate hikes priced in by the end of 2023. So 125 basis points in tightening. That That's pretty aggressive, I think, from my perspective at this point, given given where we are and given the uncertainty. I guess, what, what, why don't we start with JM? Do you view Bank of Canada pricing as, as out of whack? Uh, is Is there something, is there a trade here? Uh, is the market wrong? And, and if it is wrong, what's going to be the catalyst to make a change? I do have to say that, uh, indeed, I think uh, the, the pricing in the front end of Canada is just absolutely nuts. Um, <laughs> I just, I mean, there's a lot of, 
there's there's a whole lot of um, reason why one could think we're pricing a bank that will start much earlier in Canada than in the U.S. But I mean, typically, uh, as you well know, the, the Bank of Canada is following the Fed, and uh, I believe in this cycle it will happen. I know that earlier in 2010 we were actually um, hiking rates while the Fed was was still uh, pegged at zero. But uh, this time around, I mean, unless inflation really go way above our expectation, I know that that Bank of Canada has a, a clear inflation mandate, which the Fed has seems to uh, be, um, you know, they've they changed their mind, the mandate to uh, average inflation target. But uh, definitely there's, there's absolutely no reason the Bank of Canada should be that way ahead of the Fed. I think it's mainly Asian flows, selling Canada, fixed income product, which triggers some stop into uh, into uh, new liquid market, and so I think I think there's a technical reason to it right now, and it definitely can bring us some uh, an interesting opportunity to receive some uh, you know forward structure in the the front end in Canada versus the U.S., which has really widened out recently. I think here's the problem, though. I mean, I, I would have said a month ago when we had a Bank of Canada rate hike priced for kind of late 2022 uh, that and, and Canada, call it like two year, one year was 55 or 60 basis points uh, above the U.S. I would have said that that you were already stressed at that point, And I suspect you probably wouldn't have argued with me. Why is now any different? And I guess what's the catalyst for Canada to start outperforming? Is it just time or is, is, does something have to happen? Or maybe it's the U.S. that will drive the trade and not Canada. I think it, it can be both. Actually, I thought that uh, after this Fed, uh, U.S. five-year could, um, could lift off in terms of yields. And uh, obviously, I, I was wrong. We, we're, we're having such a nice rally in, uh, in five-year, about five beeps as we speak on the day. And uh, while we were out uh, three beeps before the Fed. So definitely uh, the market... Uh, is I guess satisfied, but what the by what the Fed told him, um, I I think I think time m- might be your best uh, best friend here. The thing is that I mean, <laughs> we can start a whole different conversation about this whole reflation idea, but um, there's just no reason to believe, as the Fed does actually, that that uh, the upcoming inflation will be secular. And not temporary. I mean, there's there's definitely inflation coming. We'll see prints above three percent probably, um, but will it stay there? I kind of doubt, or at least it's too way too early to um, to be conclusive on this on this matter. Once the pandemic is behind us, um, what what you can see from the Biden administration is that. They're already pushing back from from what they were saying during the uh, the election, right? They, they they were talking about a possible student loan uh, debt jubilee uh, that's off. They were talking about uh, national uh, minimum wage increase that's off. Even the package was supposed to be two thousand dollar per person before got uh, downgraded to to fourteen hundred bucks, and now we're talking about raising rates, uh, raising taxes. Sorry. And so 
this whole concept of uh, the monetary spigot with with the fiscal deficit, which equals to MMT, and then inflation starts. Um, for sure, there's a reason to believe it's possible because we haven't seen uh, the fiscal side to be that aggressive in the last 10, 12 years. Um, but there's some reason to believe that the administration might be a bit reluctant into spending way much more after the um, the current program. So we may not get much more of a growth impulse from that perspective. Fair enough. Francois, let's turn to you. You have a book in which you trade risk. Uh, how are you viewing the Bank of Canada right now? Uh, I, I, I mean, uh, I know you don't trade pure rates, but uh, are you fading the Bank of Canada at all? Is this a, I mean, again, from your perspective, is there a catalyst for, for Canada to richen on a relative basis or are rates just going to continue to move higher as uh, the, the, the outlook continues to improve? Yeah, I think uh, you touched a couple points. Uh the I think the outlook definitely continues to improve and improves pretty quickly. We just saw it with the uh, the very strong payroll numbers that came out, and I think the Bank of Canada is going to revise their forecast uh, for GDP and growth in April pretty aggressively. So, do think bear environment for for bonds, brighter future for 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 the economy, all helping to push rates higher. Uh, cross market, as you touched it. The market seems to believe the Fed more than the bank. Uh, I think that might be led by a quicker sell-off in fives. I would. I was on the same camp as JM going into the Fed, thinking fives uh, could go um, much cheaper on a uh, on less stimulus and just the Fed holding the course. Bit disappointed. I think the market disregards the fact. It, it seems like the Fed members just held the party line, and the the dot plot didn't move as much as uh, I would have anticipated. But I'm pretty right about the future. I think uh, you, you see it with the reopenings in the United States. You read plenty of articles. The the uh, the airports are, are back and running. They're filled with people. Restaurants have opened up. The vaccination pace is just outstanding uh, south of the border. And um, at some point, the the economy is going to have to, to fly uh, with its own wings. And uh, I, I do think it comes quicker than, uh, than what... Uh, uh, the Fed keeps uh, saying. Well, it's, it seems like they, they just want to see it actually happen. And they're willing, they, they don't believe the risk to inflation is high enough that uh, if they wait, things will get out of hand. So they're just happy to wait. And you know what, if, if it comes sooner than great, and if it doesn't, then they're happy to wait. But they want to see the growth. They want to see the inflation hard prints before they start to change their tune. Uh, yep. And so that, that's kind of what he said today, what Powell mm-hmm. said today, was that like, they want to see realized numbers before they start to even talk about tapering. So that, I mean, that suggests at least like the, at least first quarter of growth numbers minimum and then to move into the second quarter that looks better. So uh, it, at least a couple of meetings away. Yeah. And back to inflation, I think I, I share some, some, some thoughts with jam about that. Like I, I think it, there's going to be a very quick effect. There's going to be some, uh, some supply side impact and just uh, some, uh, some base, some base number impact from from last year as well. Uh, so we'll see high prints, but I, I don't think for 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 many reasons um, that the inflation's going to last uh, at a at a high level for a long time. Bank of America uh, did a survey uh, a while back just uh, with what people would do with the the, the generous uh, fiscal package and how they would spend the fourteen hundred dollars. L- lots of the input on that came out to be not 
inflationary at all, right? There's going to be a very high saving rate. Uh, they were saying like highly liquid asset for for rich people was about was going to be more than 50%. And even the people of wages below 30 grand would save as well almost half of that, right? Of what they would get. So, uh, or pay down debt or, or, or keep high liquid assets. So for me, the, the impact, yeah, exactly. Stocks, stocks are going to be, exactly, right? The stock market is going to fly. But uh, that doesn't drive real GDP growth and and, and employment, right? It, it's different market, I, I would say. You had the Federal Bureau of, of Labor revising their job growth forecast for the lower paid salary people, uh, which was 5% growth for the next 10 years, down to negative half a percent. And you had all the big tech companies, biggest cap, capex spending uh, in uh, 2022 uh to replace lower lower paying jobs with technology and all that. So all that um, believes me that there won't be the whole workforce that, that lost their job and especially not the lowest, uh, the lowest paying part uh, recovering um, and coming back to the market soon. Uh, well, I, I, before I want to talk about inflation a bit more, but I think I, I just want to get to the Bank of Canada a little bit more first and, and how pivotal the April meeting uh, looks to be for me. Uh, I think it's 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 pivotal for the bank in that I mean we've noted the skepticism that the market has with respect to what the bank has said uh, versus how the, they kind of are, are a little bit more they they believe the Fed a little bit more than they do the bank. Uh, and so April is is a key meeting because every year in April they reevaluate the Bank of Canada reevaluates uh, their their view on potential growth and and. For the past, I mean, 20 plus years or so, uh, Bank of Canada policy has been driven by the output gap uh, and, and the Bank of Canada's view on the output gap. And, and I mean, if the, mechanically, that's just potential growth uh, and, and, and GDP. And you put those two together and that tells you where the output gap is, uh, given a starting point. Uh, and so as growth improves, if there's no change in potential, then the output gap is smaller than it otherwise would be and, and vice versa. Uh, and so, I mean, that's part of what's happened in Canada. We've had really big growth surprises. The lockdown in, in December, January didn't seem to have much, if any, impact on the economy. I mean, uh, weakness in retail sales, but uh, amazingly, uh, the rest of the economy seems to have come out unscathed and actually better off. Uh, and I think that, 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 that that's a huge surprise. Uh, and so that means that the, the growth number for all of 2021 is going to be far north of where the bank thought it was. And so mechanically, that would mean a smaller output gap, an earlier closing of the output gap uh, than what they thought in January. However, and, and this is the key point, and this is why uh, this may be a pivotal meeting for the bank. One, when they change potential growth, do they kind of upwardly revise past years to, to kind of widen that output gap a little bit, uh, which is certainly possible given uh, what, what Governor Macklem said, that uh, even though the unemployment rate was at multi-decade lows pre-COVID, they still didn't see any meaningful inflation impulse. Uh, and then the other aspect of this that that uh, I think is is kind of more more my view than what's going on on the street is is more of a focus on the labor market. And we saw it in the policy statement. And again, back to that Macklin comment, I just 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 noted, I think that they'll, they'll start using the labor market as a cross check on the output gap. And that might enable the bank to signal more Fed like or, or uh, maybe gain a little more credibility with the market, similar to what the Fed has at this point. Uh, and push back those those rate hike expectations a little bit further. Uh, I don't see how else they do this. They want to push towards more inclusive growth. This is this is probably the way to do that. Uh, at the same time, though, we're probably going to get a taper. 
And and uh, JM, I'm, I'm curious, what are your clients saying about the taper that, that is likely to come? I think that's pretty much consensus right now uh, that we will get a taper in April. So what are investors thinking that, that the rates market is going to do on the back of a taper move? Yeah, so, so not that, that much discussion, to be honest with you, in, in Canada about tapering. It's, it's not a big factor at this stage. I mean, we, we're having a lot more discussion on, on the provincial uh, reaction, potentially the tens, tens longs uh, box. We'll, I don't know if we'll talk more about it later. But in terms of the rest of the market, the rates itself, not really. I think the big question is more when the Fed is going to taper because it's going to give us a hint about when they're going to start raising rates. And so a lot more discussion and debate around a possible taper south of the border. Okay. Yeah. I will save this conversation until closer to the bank meeting when, when maybe it's a bit more uh, yeah. timely and, and people are it's a little more on people's radars. You mentioned the 1030s provincial credit box. Do you guys want to discuss that? You said it's, it's a, a big, big topic now in, in the investor base. Uh, what, what are the, why don't JM, why don't you start with what clients are saying? And then Francois, uh, you can give us some color on on how uh, the market's trading. Yeah, sure. So um, the box basically broke the range, which which stand for from 2013 to uh, just before COVID, right between eight eight beeps to let's say 13, 14 beeps on the wide. So it was quite a tight range, and we've broken to 21, maybe even 22. Uh, in terms of that box, it's it's kind of coming back a bit. The idea being that the bank was buying tens and under, and they bought about seventeen percent of of the issuance, the net issuance. Um, so that's quite a big number. And since they weren't buying longs, it's obvious that that longs should widen out versus tens. But now the thing is that they're much more potential it's 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 a much more complex trade than just just uh just the bank of canada uh qe policy first of all if you if you look at the issuance of provinces it, it went from a high of 57 percent in long so 57 percent i believe in the second or third quarter of 2019 were, were longs pro issuance so 30 year and over and that that uh, proportion uh, tumbled to all the way down to thirty two percent lately. So it's true that the bank is not buying longs, but on the other side, provinces themselves issued much less long. So that should cancel out. It should cancel each other out. Uh, but you still saw that that big movement in the box. Another reason is uh, I, I believe. There are much less demand, natural demand from pensions and insurers since rates are selling off. And that LDI buying pressure was always there. As long, when rates were going down, pension and, uh, and insurers were buying long product on, on leverage, basically. And now with the convexity of this trade, once, once rates starts to sell off, they need less assets because their assets are much more convex than their, than their liabilities. And so unless their liabilities starts to go up, they don't really need as much 
assets in the long end. So as long as, as rates are selling off, it's very well possible that the, this box continue to widen out. And so my two cents, I, I, I would say that I think we're in a new range. It looks like the range tends to widen out a bit with time. If you start during the great financial crisis in 08, 09, and where we are today, there's a slight drift upward in this box. And so it's very well possible that we are in a new range, possibly, I don't know, 15 to 22 to 23. And we're closer to the middle of that range now. Francois, thoughts? Yeah, well, when the um, we talked about the PPPP and uh, and the pro the program coming to an end uh, last time on the podcast, I think uh, you guys discussed uh, possible impacts. My view was that uh, tens were going to underperform on the curve just because of uh, of what we've just discussed. So, uh, with issuance of provies being mostly in tens and then in longs, and uh, the bank supporting tens while uh, not supporting longs. Longs were trading already uh, based on market demand and activity, as opposed to tens had a bit of a skew. The initial reaction uh, when they brought the program to one purchase a week was that exactly the box fined pretty aggressively. Everybody thought that was the, the the normal move and the normal reaction. Since then, it reverted back to uh, recent steeps. As Jam mentioned, I do think the uh, steepness the, of that uh, average of that box is steeper now, given conditions, given larger borrowing programs, and given more issuance from provinces uh, across the curve. So I think if you look at, for example, 51s versus deck 30, uh, we're back to 16 and a half, call it today, on that box. We've been to low 13s, 12s and all the way back to 17 and a bit steeper. I think we're at the, uh, at the wider end of that range. I think probably fair value is anywhere between 15 and 14, and we trade either side of that by a couple of beefs. Uh, but yes, I do think we've established a, a new steeper range. That being said, we've seen loads of buying of longs come through uh, from fast money putting on, um, box flatteners on from uh, cash buyers, uh, there was lots of uh, of cash buying when Canada Longs hit two percent. Um, it's cheaper since then, but uh, we we continue to see the demand. And uh, I think there's a bit of a te- technicality to uh, Long Provis cheapening recently. We've seen Alberta come with an ultra long deal. Apparently, that was done against some provincial long credit. Also, hearing uh, that the Alberta ten year uh, carve out that happened uh, this week was also done versus uh, long provies. So putting pressure on, on long provinces just on secondary trades and secondary flows and liquidity isn't at its, at its best, I would say at the moment. The market is pretty gappy uh, and the uh, interbroker uh, liquidity is pretty light. So things tend to move pretty quickly. But when the box hit 13, we saw a good amount of real money. And in the 12 area, 12 to 13, we saw a good amount of real money come in, sell longs on the box versus 10s. And we, we, we're we seeing the opposite right now where people are, are covering that, buying longs, selling 10s uh, as a credit trade. Um, there's also a fact that you look at taken to 48, for example, but it's the highest yields we've seen in multi-years, right? Like we're around 280. 85, 87, call it. It's a pretty attractive, uh, pretty attractive level, uh, and um, 
for anyone who doesn't believe inflation is going to be sustained over a long period of time, I think it, it's an opportunity here to, to step in and uh, and add to, to long credit positions. I, I hear from both of you that there, there's some reluctance on the duration front just to have be long duration at, at this juncture. Even if there's some skepticism about inflation, I mean, the risk is there. Uh, and so that that's weighed on the market on the long end. I think it continues to weigh on the long end. Uh, personally, and, and I suspect that that still has a little bit to go, both in Canada and the U.S. Uh, I think we'll, we'll see it on, in, in, in both areas. First of all, you mentioned uh, Alberta coming with ultra longs. Uh, is that something maybe more investors might look at? Uh, I mean, pension funds, insurance type investors uh, might look at in order to lower their duration risk uh, through increased convexity. Jim or Francois, either one of you, uh, feel free to chime in on that one. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and Jim had done some work prior to that uh, on on that exact topic. I I, I do think uh, convexity here comes in uh, extremely attractive with the with higher yields and uh, and. Um, the provinces are pricing now. Uh, there used to be inversion priced from from their regular thirty year into uh, ultra long bonds, but it seems like some recent deals have priced it flat uh, or a slight pick. So uh, making those uh, those longer duration trade quite uh, quite appealing. Uh, but yeah, Jem, uh, kick in, feel free. Yeah, ultra longs are uh, quite an interesting topic because. Uh obviously because of convexity there's there's a ton of convexity in, in, in those product now with uh with not not only the movement and rates but definitely the realized vol it's basically when you you buy convexity you're buying an option you're long vega basically it's so and so and so as as vols going higher and realized vol is going higher you can actually delta hedge your uh, your convexity and uh, and and capture capture the movement and rates just as you could delta edge an option. Now, I believe the the last Alberta was done versus Long Alberta, so it was definitely hedged and for the purpose of being delta hedge. And um, so, yes, on one side there's more. Um, optionality in this trade. On the other side, the the curve is much steeper, and that means it's uh, it's negative carry trade to old because right um, you're uh, you're actually shorting much more thirty year than you hold ultra longs, and uh, since thirty years is uh, there's now what uh, <laughs> the whole curve is uh, is something like uh, two hundred and 30 beeps in the US it's it's 180 beeps in Canada so that's uh there's there's a big part of carry you you're uh, put, putting in the garbage basically to hold the trade so there's a risk reward there uh between those two inputs um carry negative carry versus uh optionality of the trade fair enough uh thanks for thanks for the the, the breakdown there uh very helpful hopefully for our listeners I think uh, we're kind of running short on time here, so a couple couple more topics before we wrap up. Uh, one, I just Francois, can you quickly uh, go over this week's CMB new issue? Uh, how did it go? Client interest, how's trading post issue? Uh, and then from there, I'm going to ask you both for your uh, for your favorite trades uh, at the moment. Yeah, um, CMB deal was 
slower than most deals to get across the finish line, I would say. A um, couple factors to that is numerous accounts in Canada are using CMB bonds as a proxy to Canadian government bonds just because of, of, of the credit pick for the AAA government guaranteed. So they're going to express curve trades or duration views using CMBs instead of own, uh, instead of Canada's because that's what they own. Um, so going to into it, we had seen uh, a, a good amount of, of selling, uh, selling of fives versus uh, to retract into twos, uh, cash selling of tens, uh, pressure from uh, mortgage originators selling uh, as the uh, mortgage issuance uh, continues to be pretty strong. So um, there was selling and, and then we arrived at the point where the deal was coming right after a, a 10-year deal that uh, didn't perform well at all. One of the weakest uh, in in recent times. Um, so I think there was a bit of a, a scar uh, to investors. So they were they had a bit of cold feet. Uh, that being said, uh, the deal was properly priced. There was a bit of a concession given uh, on the spread, and uh, and it was well distributed and, and it went fine. And it, the five year sector is trading is trading pretty well. It's actually outperformed tens uh, since the pricing by. Two and a half beeps, I would say. So, uh, a strong, uh, a strong five-year performance overall, and uh, the the street seems to be way more clean in CMBs at the moment. Cool. So, a little little heavy, a little reluctance going in, but uh, pretty good on the way out. So, that, that's uh, good. Good to hear uh, when the issues go well. Um, all right, let's uh, favorite trade ideas, guys. Uh, whoever wants to chime in first, go ahead. You can give me one, one or two, any kind of trade you want. So last time we, we spoke, I was uh, bullish on risk, bullish on long U.S. treasuries, which obviously was uh, definitely not the good trade to, to own. Um, I've changed my mind when, uh, when the uh, Georgia election uh, results came out and we, we've finally had uh, a uh, blue sweep. And uh, then I, know, I knew that the whole structure of the market would change. Because uh, obviously, it was uh, we're, we were going into a regime of, of MMT, or uh, at least for for the foreseeable future. Now I'd say that even though I'm still bare for the you know longer range, I would say that the um, the sell off was pretty aggressive and and recently. And now US tens are at one sixty five ish. We were at. Uh, 80 beep six months ago. So I know a lot of people doesn't like to to um, to talk about um, the rate of change in terms of percentage when talking about yield, but still uh, yields doubled up in terms of the last six months. So that's that's quite quite a lot, and um, it looks like that the price action, um, the the sell off is kind of fading post the post-Fed. And uh, so what I, I would think is that for the, the, the short term, an interesting trade would be to, uh, to sell some, uh, some out-of-the-money payers in the U.S. on tens, let's say one month, 10 year or one month, 30 years. Uh, implied vol at a great run. Normalized vol, vol on, on tens were, was right around low 50s at the beginning of the year, and it's, it's 87 points now. So definitely getting much more rewarded to sell vol here. And so it's kind of a way to, um, 
to get exposed to a either consolidation or a rally in rates. And if it continues to sell off since you, you sell, let's say, a 20 beeps, 25 beeps out of money payer one month, the risk is that you get long this market at an equivalent, equivalent rate of 190 in the US tens, which, you know what? I wouldn't mind really, because at some point, if we continue to sell off at this pace, Fed will have to uh, to act, I believe, in, in either in terms of operation twist or yield curve control or whatever you like. But they won't let the bond market sell off in their face in the middle of the recovery. So, um, so yeah, just a little tactical trade, I think, that can be uh, rewarding here um, for the next few uh, weeks, at least. That, that that's fair yeah 20 20 20 more beeps in, in, in a month would uh i mean after the move we've had would be pretty it's big violent i guess yep. yeah exactly yep. exactly and uh wouldn't probably wouldn't be ignored uh i, I doubt yeah. francois what do you got for us yeah um bit of a similar idea i think uh as uh, we said the the pace of the sell-off was extremely quick and violent in, in rates and uh I don't mind a, a little bit of a being long biased here. Um, the long end, I, I would favor, uh, and adding a, adding a provincial coupon to that, given the steepness of the credit box, uh, and uh, and long provies being at uh, multi-year cheaps. Uh, I think it's a uh, it's a good hedge. Uh, I think the uh, risk parity as well should help with the, if the if the long end cheapens, provincial spreads should tighten in, in longer tenors. Uh, so one offsetting the other and, and providing a little bit of a cushion if uh, the duration call isn't uh, right at the moment. But uh, I, I would err on the side of being uh, longer the ba- along the back end of the curve right now uh, with the provincial coupon on it. All right, cool. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me once again. Uh, and I uh, hope to uh, speak to you both again soon. Cheers, Ben. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. 
Emo assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.